Would you please stand with me and turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 42, verses 9 to 17. Job 42, verses 9 to 17, for the reading of Holy Scripture. Beginning in verse 9. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemimai, the name of the second Kezai, and the name of the third Karen Hapak. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Would you turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul writes, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. All flesh is like grass, and all of its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And all of God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. Would you pray with me one one more time? 
Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we in freedom can listen to it taught and preached. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we might not just be hearers of the word, but hearers and doers. We pray that it would be for your glory, for it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, If you haven't done so already, I'd like to invite you to turn with me uh, to James chapter 5 as we look at verses 7 to 12. James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. And I have entitled this sermon, How to Face Trials Patiently. One year, a group of ten people, church members at a church, decided together to enter into the mission field. It'd be led by a missionary who had gone to the place in the world that they were headed to, and he called upon Christians to go with him out into the mission field, and this group of ten people submitted to the call of our Lord to go. For an entire year, this group of people worked diligently to get all of their plans organized. They learned basic conversation in the native language of the people they were going to. They prayed every day. They fasted once a week. They went to several churches together and as individuals to seek support from local churches to help them. And finally, the night before the day that they would go out into the mission field had finally arrived. They get together one last time to share burdens with one another, fears that they had about going, but they also rejoiced in Christ that they would be going out amongst a people to share the hope that is within them, and they finished the evening in prayer. They went home to get much-needed rest. The following day came very quickly. One by one, they all headed to and arrived at the airport that they would be taking off from. They boarded the plane. The plane took off without any issue, and then it arrived somewhere in the states that it was intending to go. The first stop was a successful one. Everyone got off that plane and ran to uh, the, the next plane where they gathered, and everybody was allowed with a great deal of ease to get onto the plane, to board the flight. But one, the missionary who would be going with them and leading them. None of the people who were going with him under his leadership as a missionary knew that he wasn't allowed to get onto the plane. But this man, who didn't know why this was happening, was ushered into a room and told that he needed to wait there, that eventually somebody would come and talk to him about why he was being detained from airport security. This man sits there for hours, 
not knowing why he was there. His stress level slowly got more and more intense. He felt more and more discouraged. And as he thought about why he was sitting in there and not with the group of people that he was going out into the mission field with, started to wonder if God was somehow punishing him. James writes this morning to us, chapter 5, verses 7 to 12, concerning the issue of patiently enduring through various sufferings. But this time, his point is a patience through the sufferings that are handed to you via another individual. In chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, James writes about patience, but the word patience, different than the one here, refers to enduring through various circumstances. That is, things that happen to us that we didn't know were coming. But here, verses 7 through 12, the word translated patience used four times in in these verses, macro through meo, a compound word, mekros meaning long, and thumos meaning anger, literally refers to someone who is angry towards you, and for a long period of time. In other words, what James is talking about is patiently enduring a suffering that comes at the expense of someone who is angry with you. James, however, is not simply telling us to endure people who are mistreating you. He tells us why. Very simply, it is because the Lord who will in the end bless us for holding on to Him through our various sufferings with people. We understand what's going on here. In verses 1 through 6, James is describing the rich and the rich's mistreatment of the poor. How the rich acquire wealth. How they're willing and will do step on people's throats to get more wealth. How they'll hurt people. We even talked about how the rich went into the courthouse with the poor so that they could pay the courthouse to hold the poor accountable for something they didn't do. Because they could. And this morning we talk about a patience that God has called us to because in the end we're going to see His grace and His mercy being poured out on us who by faith endure for the glory of Christ our Savior. Verses 7, 8, 10, and 11 James encourages us to endure because Christ will return to get us who are His in the resurrection. Verse 9, James uh, encourages us not to complain. And verse 12, he again encourages us not to make oaths or promises that you don't intend to keep. So would you please follow along with me as I read verses 7 to 12 for us this morning. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until 
it receives the early and later rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So as I said before, point number one, verses seven, eight, ten, and eleven, we are called under the guidance of God the Holy Spirit to be patient in suffering. As we talked about last time, verses one through six, we looked at the issue of the worldly pursuit of wealth the ungodliness that goes into thinking that life is somehow going to be complete and full because not only do I get everything that I set my affection onto being an idol, but I willingly hurt others to get it. This morning he talks to those who are hurt by others. And what we're told here in verses 7, 8, 10, and 11 is to be patient. He tells us who are suffering at the hands of others to do so patiently. Notice that James describes how we are to suffer at the hands of others through three illustrations. The first, verse 7. Therefore, or 7 and 8, excuse me. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it arrives, the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The first illustration that James gives to us concerning enduring with patience those who are amongst us in our life under the the providential care of God, the sovereignty of God, put us through various trials of levels of difficulty. And he, James here uses the farmer who waits for his yield to come up from the ground. He says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. We're told that the farmer waits not only for the precious fruit or the yield of the earth to grow, but he says the early and latter rain. Early in Palestine is the fall planting season from October through November. The latter later time comes at the harvest between March and April. The point is very simple, that like the farmer who waits for God to providentially do whatever he's going to do 
for the rain to fall and for the crops therefore to grow, so the Christian must wait patiently as we go through various trials with people. It gives us a second illustration, verse 10. He says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. This example is one of the sufferings of those men who proclaim the word of the Lord and did so faithfully. But the reason that they proclaimed the word and they did so faithfully is out of obedience to God to love people. They were obeying God and they loved people, yet they were mistreated. The word suffering that's used here, verse 10, is the word keikopathea. It is a suffering that the prophets endured because of the people's hearts to do evil against them. See, what God is revealing to us in the epistle of James is that the heart intention of those people claiming to be gods were to inflict evil upon God's servants because they didn't want to hear what God's servants had to say. But the idea is that like the prophets who endured patiently, so must, so must we endure patiently. The scripture gives us plenty of examples of prophets who patiently endured, but I'm going to give you two. The first is from 1 Samuel chapter 18 and chapter 26. What we see is God's anointed David is hunted like a dog or a deer or a bird by Saul simply because God and his presence left Saul for David because David was a man after God's own heart. David is called, is a picture for us of enduring the suffering at the hands of Saul, patiently waiting for the Lord to intervene. You see, 1 Kings chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 21 of the prophet Elijah, who is again hunted by Ahab and his wife Jezebel, simply because he proclaims the word of the Lord. David and Elijah are just two examples of men who were called upon by the Lord to faithfully exhort God's people who were then hunted by others with evil intentions. And like them, so should we be patient. Finally, verse 11, the third illustration. It says, Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. The third illustration, as I've already said, is Job. We know the story of Job. Job is a man who is counted by God as righteous. And Satan, who the Bible says, lures around like a lion looking who he might devour, finds Job. 
And he goes up into the presence of God and he suggests to God that the reason Job is worshiping you isn't because Job wants to worship you or because you are worthy of his worship. It's because you've given him everything that he wants in this world. You notice as you read through Job that Job does not get an invitation from God to have a conversation about what God is going to do. But yet God gives permission to Satan to cause Job to suffer. We know the story. Job loses his children. He loses his wealth. He loses his health, his reputation, everything in his life. He is reduced to having sores covering his body that he has to break clay pots to rub up against because they're so itchy and irritable. What we're told, as we read there in Job 42, what we see here in the text, verse 11, that God blesses Job as he waits upon God. But the point that James is making, the why behind our calling to faithfully wait upon the Lord, to patient endure, to, to patiently endure, first of all, comes from verse seven and eight. It says, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. He says, see how the farmer waits for precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it, ar- until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. says it twice, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 8, verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, the prophet says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that arises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Psalm 135, verse 14 For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants. In saying that the reason we as God's children patiently wait as we are mistreated by people that God sovereignly allows in our life is because the coming of the Lord is at hand. The idea in the coming of the Lord is at hand is that the sufferings that we endure to the people that God allows into our life for the purpose of suffering is that it's only for a season. It's not going to last forever. And one day when he comes and he takes us home, we will never again suffer with anything anymore. So in our patient enduring, we are waiting for that good father to come to us to take us home so that we might glorify him for all of eternity for giving us something that we simply do not deserve. Amen? The coming of the Lord. But you notice something, verse 8 
James says, establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. The word establish is the verb sterizo. It means to cause to stand. It's the same word that Luke in nine, chapter nine, verse 51 describes Christ's determination to go to Jerusalem, although he faced death there. See, the idea here is as we patiently endure, that a part of the blessing and the waiting for the coming of the Lord, that we do everything that you and I can to abide in our Christ as we rely on His persevering strength at the same time to bring us to the very end. There's a relationship there. The relationship is that we both look to abide in Christ and Christ by God the Holy Spirit gives us His persevering grace and strength that we might endure to the end. But let's be clear about something. What James is talking about is not a suffering that comes about because we've caused trouble, because of mistakes or, or personalities, uh, personality conflicts that we might have with people. What James is talking about here is a trouble that comes because we're simply trying to live for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and people hate us for it. James says, be patient. And yet at the same time, we do everything in our patience to be as close to Christ our Savior as we can because we know that this suffering will only last but a season. The second blessing that we see here is the blessing that God gives to Job. He says, verse 11, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the, the, intended, the intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. The thing about Job's story, as we read in Job 42, that God returned everything to Job two times over. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is the point to that that James is making under the, 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 the guidance of God the Holy Spirit that we should look for physical possessions and blessings that God wants to give to us. Material blessings. The answer is no. The point is not that we will be blessed with material goods. The point is that like God showed Job compassion and mercy, God will show us that same compassion and mercy. The idea here is that when we cry out to the Lord, when we abide in Christ, when we patiently endure suffering at the hands of others, and we still push into Christ... We know that this will only be but a, for a season, but we also know that His persevering grace will show itself in our lives and we will be able to endure things that we didn't think we'd be able to. And as we look back and see that persevering grace, we will worship Him for His goodness to us. 
Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, Paul writes, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The mercy of God can be seen in our growing, in our hope for Jesus Christ to give us what we need to endure this life when it looks as if we might crumble under the pressure and the hurts of what God allows through people. The second Corinthians chapter four, verses seven through ten, the apostle Paul again writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies." All of Scripture paints for us the beautiful picture that for those who are in Christ, Christ will help you endure, even at the hands of people who mean to do you harm. He will. He will. Therefore, we wait patiently upon Him. Secondly, verse 9 we receive the exaltation to not grumble. James writes, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James now enters into the reality that although we wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and take us home with Him, that we're given the sobering reminder to not grumble against those who hurt us or seek to. The word grumble, stanasso, to groan against someone, to sigh. The idea of the Greek word stanasso that's being translated as grumble isn't simply about groaning or, or even complaining about others. Is that at the heart of our growing, of our groaning, of our complaining against those people who hurt us is the reality of a growing bitterness or resentment against them. James says, don't groan, don't become embittered, don't resent, don't voice frustration that comes from your heart towards them because of the way that they're treating you. Perhaps, and rightfully so, we don't outright appreciate how they've treated us. We've been talked badly about. We've been ignored or mistreated or made fun of. But we cannot, under the Word of God, grumble against one another. Notice he tells us why. He says, lest you be condemned lest you be condemned. The idea here goes back to chapter 4, verse 12. James writes, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. 
Who are you to judge another? The idea is very simply that we are not the lawgiver. We are not the judge. And if we make ourselves, that is, in our own estimation, superior to others, if it's unrepented of, shows ourselves to have never been walking with the Lord at all. I want you to understand something about that. See, it's in compassion that he writes these things to us. The point is that it's never, that it's not never ever okay for us to complain or, 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 or complain or grumble at times. What James is talking about is having a lifestyle of being a complaining heart. Constantly grumbling, constantly complaining, because life and these people do not treat me the way I hoped they would. Didn't say deserve the way I hoped they would. In other words, if we struggle with this, but we repent of it, do you know that we're given the promise in Psalm 103, verse 12? that our sins are as far from us as the east is from the west. He's not saying it's never okay to grumble. What he's saying is don't have the heart condition of constantly grumbling, constantly complaining. Third point, verse 12, he gives us another exaltation to not swear. He says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Notice that James starts this exhortation by mentioning that we are brethren. He says, but above all, my brethren. The idea is that James, in saying this to us, isn't looking down on us or the literal people he was writing to but he's walking this walk of faith with us. We walk together. But the idea being that James is not looking at this issue of this, if he's superior, but he sympathizes with us. To swear from the Greek word onu ete, that is to say something falsely. So swearing doesn't mean four-letter expletives or it, it means to say something false. What he's getting at is the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 to 37. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. See, the idea that Jesus is getting at, that James is piggybacking off of, is the problem of people asking you to do something, making you promise to do something, and we flippantly tell them yes. But in the heart, we have either no desire to do the thing that we promised, that we said we'd do, or we just decide as it gets closer to back out of doing it. The point in its context here, however, 
is that even if we make a promise to someone who's mistreating us, we are to let our yes be yes and our no, no. He says, lest you fall into judgment. Again, it's the same thing that he said previously. This is the mentality of constantly, consistently lying, making promises that you don't intend to keep or flippantly backing out of them because it's just easier not to keep your word. Even when someone is hurting you. Earlier I mentioned this missionary who's detained by airport security. He's been in there for hours. His stress level is building. It's intensifying. The group who has already uh, loaded the plane has taken off. And as I said earlier, his stress level is causing him to wonder why in the world God would cause him to be here, to be left here. He's praying and asking God to help him be patient and to endure through this trial because he doesn't even know why it's happening to him. Finally, somebody comes into the room, politely ask him to get up and they take him to another room. Only this room has people in it. He's told to sit down over there and he just so happens to sit down next to Hispanic people As a younger man, he studied a little bit of Spanish. He can speak it. He can have a conversation with somebody. And as he's sitting there and he's recognizing that these people speak Spanish and he begins to talk to them about their life and what's kind of going on and why they're there and where they're going and so on and so forth begins to realize that although he had plans to be a missionary, to go wherever in the world they were going, God's providence brought him to a place where he could share his faith, his hope in Jesus Christ with these people he's sitting next to in an airport as he suffers at the hands of people. The blessing of trusting in God's providence that no matter what might happen whether we can predict it or foresee it or not, and it simply comes upon us and it takes our breath away. This morning we need to be reminded that even though we are called to suffer with patience with people, the Lord is there with you. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. The first thing then that I would like to call us to consider in this passage is Notice who James tells us is the one who will do the vindicating for us. See, that's deep because oftentimes when we're hurt, the first thing that we want to do is vindicate ourselves. We want to take things into our own grip and we want to handle people and we want to show them who's boss and we want to deal with them. But the word of the Lord tells us that the vindicating is the ministry of our Father in heaven and not our own. Amen? So the patience that we're called to endure is a patience that has the strength to say, although I want to retaliate, it is the Lord who will do the retaliating for me. 
It's important to note that the retaliating might be done when that person repents and believes in Jesus Christ because their sins, no different than ours, would be dealt with on the cross of Calvary. Amen? But his sin might also be dealt with in eternity apart from God in the darkness and lake of fire in hell. The second thing that I would like to consider this morning is that we must be a people who is willing to forgive and not grumble against one another. You know how sweet it is, how beautiful it is in the sight of God when a person has every desire in their flesh to retaliate and as they're, they're just standing on the, the precipice of telling this person who's hurt them every jot and tittle of everything that they have done to hurt me, how it's affected my life, what it's done to my self-esteem, they instead yield to the Spirit of God and love that person who we might call our enemy. How precious that is. I'd like to end by going with you to one more passage in Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't know, Hebrews is directly in front of James or before James. But I'd like you to turn there with me to Hebrews chapter 11 as I read for you verses 32 to 40 and we'll finish here. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. The writer of Hebrews, verse 32, says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked Righteousness obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not, ex- not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What's the author of Hebrews saying here? That these people who had been visited by God, God drew them out of darkness into this glorious light of fellowship with Him through faith, to have faith in Him. And more importantly, faith that God would send His Son 
to suffer and die that they might live eternity. They're saved no differently than we. They trusted God, that God would provide the means of eternal escape. And because they lived by God, they were mistreated. But notice what it says, as they believed upon Him, were mistreated by people. It says, of whom the world was not worthy. That means that their faith was so beautiful to God that this world who sought to hurt them was not worthy of them. Wasn't worthy of them. So when we believe upon Him and we hold on to that faith and we abide in Christ Although this world might think it's doing a good for its own society, it is not worthy of those who are of the fathers through the Son. We have to endure patiently, trusting that when it's time in His sovereign purposes, our Father will come and He will take us home for all of eternity can't grumble, we can't retaliate. We simply wait upon Him. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank You for Your precious and beautiful Word. And I pray that it would land in our hearts and take root that we might trust You more today than we have ever before. Because You're good and Your mercy endures forever. God, we ask these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.